And good morning, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church. If you can please uh, remain standing and greet your neighbor. Well, it is great to see everybody here this morning. Um, I know everybody was so excited about losing that extra hour of sleep, right? Just like me, I looked over at the clock and I was like, goodness, that hour is so precious. But... I do enjoy the sunlight, so that's one positive thing there. 
So uh, everybody, if you go to your announcements, first things first, you'll see in the back here the little cutout. Please make sure if you have any prayer requests or if you are new to Harvest, please just take a few seconds or a minute or two to fill it out and put it in the offering bag when, when it comes around. That would be great, so don't forget about the welcome card. And it looks like here we have a senior Bible study group that will be meeting on the first and third Thursday of each month, and that's going to start April 21st. So I know at the Bible study they're going to be checking IDs, so make sure you bring your ID with you, all righty? <laughs> and please contact Ron if you're interested. And uh, we have a Promised Land is going to be collecting uh, candies for uh, Easter Sunday. So please make sure if you can bring them um, next Sunday and make sure that uh, they're individually wrapped. Candy stickers are fine, toys, etc. Et but please make sure no loose jelly beans, marshmallows, goldfish, or other candies that might melt through the heat. So if you can bring that along next Sunday, that will be fantastic. And uh, today, there will be a membership class. It will be 11.45 to 1.30 in the library. So uh, if you're attending it, please make sure to show up today at 11.45. And if you're a man and you have this, what is it, turquoise flyer here, if you're hungry and you're a man, today is today to enjoy a nice, great meal. Um, it does say that it starts at 12.30, but if you'd like to attend a little bit earlier or a little bit later, please feel free to come. Um, I heard through the grapevine that there's going to be an abundance of food, so please make sure if you have any friends that would like to join, it will be fantastic. I'm sure it's going to be a blast. I heard there's going to be basketball and some volleyball and all that fun stuff. So, And then uh, we have here, oh, look at my helper. You want to come up here? <laughs> And then uh, also keep in mind, we'll be uh, holding Good Friday service uh, March 25th. That's going to be at the University uh, Community Park. So for any child care or anything like that, please RSVP with uh, Marissa. Um, and that will be March 25th, 7 p.m. for Good Friday. And uh, also, if you see here on the purple page... I like this, Resurrection Sunday, all righty? So this is a great time to invite family, you know, friends to come join us at the luncheon. Um, I know that uh, Olivia invites her sister and uh, her nieces and stuff like that. And it's, it's a great time for, uh, you know, some fellowship, maybe some folks that come to church on Christmas and Easter. This is a great time to hopefully bring them along have them, you know, see the warmth of harvest and uh, have them come on down. So uh, don't forget Resurrection Sunday, also known as Easter Sunday. So please join us. And, uh, and it also looks like here that the park is going to be getting together for uh, God's Not Dead 2. That's going to be April 2nd at 4 p.m. Um, you should have already received an RSVP. So if you're interested in going, if it's anything like the first movie, I enjoyed the first one. I haven't heard anything about the second, but um, I'm sure it's going to be great. And, uh, and make sure you save your dates uh, or save the date for Couples Garden. Um, there's going to be more announcements to come. That's going to be April 8th from uh, 630 to 930 at the Deerfield Community uh, Center. So 
please make plans to come out to a great date night. Um, and I'm sure Eric and I will, uh, will come up uh, probably next Sunday to talk about it a little, a little bit more. So um, today's uh, message, you know, it's about living in a broken world. And, you know, I think one of the things, one of the most big uh, misconceptions about being a Christian is that people think that once you become a Christian, zap, you're perfect. And then people have this extra eye on you. And sometimes they watch every movie you do. But I tell people this. I go, you want to know why I'm a Christian? You know why I love my Savior? You know why I love my Father? It's because I'm not perfect. I am a broken man. I need him in my life. Because if I was perfect, why do I need the Lord? Why do I need the Father? But because I'm a broken man, I need Jesus in my life. And what he did for us and the blood that he shed for our sins, um, I believe I'm forever indebted to him. And, you know, I want to live for him. I want him to live through me. So today's message is about being broken, living in a broken world. So please welcome Pastor Jerry. Thanks again for the announcements. I did want to kind of reiterate one announcement for um, Resurrection Sunday and Friday service. So the, the, um, the lavender flyer. Um, Good Friday service. We're going to be focusing on um, the Old Testament, actually, this time. And going through Good Friday through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. So we'll be looking at Isaiah chapter 53. So I just want to invite you all to part of that. And uh, this weekend, uh, I'm a little bit more um, kind of pensive, thoughtful. We got word on that on Friday, a good friend of ours, a good friend of Harvest, um, Jane White, uh, passed away Friday afternoon. Um, I don't know if you remember John and Jane. John is the president of uh, Firefighters for Christ. Both of them are very strong Christians and have been serving God, preaching the gospel all around the world, um, training firefighters all around the world. And John himself is suffering from cancer. Um, he has been for several years. And um, less than a month ago, actually it was on Valentine's Day, Jane discovered or found out that she had pancreatic cancer, stage four pancreatic cancer. And the doctors literally told her, that weekend, she only had a few weeks to live, and it was true. Um, so um, we're just kind of getting some information about the services for her, and uh, we'll let you know as, as more information comes out. But I think that uh, with this kind of news, uh, I think our message today actually is, is quite appropriate, and the fact that we're going to be observing communion. So I'd like to like to begin with us with a word of Father, we do, uh, we do live in a broken world. It's not as you had designed it and created it. Uh, and things like disease and um, death are realities in our lives. And so as we face those realities, Lord, um, remind us where we need to keep our focus on. Remind us what is true and real in life today. 
And uh, help us not to just see the brokenness, but help us to see what's behind that. And um, the reality of your, your power, your sovereignty, and your plan. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. So we're headed into the final chapters of the Gospel of Mark as we approach Resurrection Sunday in a couple of weeks. The book of Mark is already a fast-paced telling of the story of Jesus. And we've amped it up a notch. Uh, we've taken you through a brief whirlwind overview of the gospel. But now we come to really what the, the core of what the gospel is all about. It is the culmination of God's divine plan to bring order back from chaos, to make right what has been so wrong for thousands of years, but to do so at the expense of his son. At great cost, Jesus, through his obedience on the cross, set about to right a great wrong and to bring healing through brokenness. Have you taken time to slow down, to reflect on the meaning of Easter and the resurrection? Are you preparing to delve into the significance of Good Friday and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross? There's still time. There's still a couple of weeks left. You know, this would seem to be like any other Easter. So many have come and gone. But uh, as I'm getting older, each one, each new year, takes on a deep, new meaning, a deeper meaning, a new significance, especially in light of world events. It, it seems like the problems of the world are getting worse, doesn't it? That things aren't improving. But also realize that generations past have said the same thing. As uh, Pastor Curtis mentioned last week, people have been predicting Jesus' return throughout history, always with the same result. They were quite simply wrong. But I hope that we can find healing and wholeness in the midst of this brokenness of the world. And I hope that this Easter has its own particular meaning for you. So in the next, week, next few weeks, take a little extra time to contemplate the meaning of the cross, especially in light of what's happening in the world today. Two weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and last week, his warnings about the end times. This week, we begin what would be called Passion Week. And in the style typical of Mark, he condenses it down into basically two events. But I think there's actually a particular and good reason for this. Mark wants to show us that Jesus is broken to bless. Jesus is broken to bless. What is it exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? Well, the first thing about being broken to bless is that extravagant worship signals the blessing. Extravagant worship signals the coming blessing. We're starting in chapter 14 at verse 1, and we'll be reading through verses, verse 25. So that's quite a few verses. And actually, we should be covering the whole of chapter 14, which is almost 60 verses, or a little bit over 60. So on the flip side of your program are the rest of those verses, and I'll give you an opportunity to what to do with those a little bit later. But let's read through the first part of chapter 14 here. Chapter 14, verse 1. 
Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Here Mark tells us two days before the Passover was to begin, the chief priests and teachers of the law were already scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill him, but not during the festival because the people may riot. Interesting, isn't it, that the religious leaders wanted to commit what in essence was murder, but they wanted to do it secretly, and certainly not during the Passover festival to avoid creating any disturbance or riot. They were brave enough to want to do away with Jesus, but not brave enough to do it in public. It's ironic, but that's exactly what would happen. And there really wasn't anything that they could do about it or prevent it. But something else happens during that week, probably closer to the beginning of the week, maybe Monday, the day after the triumphal entry, maybe even a couple of days before that. Jesus is hanging out in Bethany. He's, he, he, he would hang out in Bethany quite a bit. It was the hometown of his good friends, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Those three siblings are mentioned quite a lot in the Gospels. And you may remember that Martha complained to Jesus about Mary not helping out in the kitchen, and another time, Jesus raised their brother Lazarus from the dead. Well, here it doesn't say that Jesus is at their home, but it is at the home of Simon the leper. It must have been someone, Simon must have been someone that Jesus healed from leprosy, because if he still had this, the disease, he wouldn't have been at home, and he wouldn't certainly have been entertaining people, because uh, that would have been forbidden for somebody with leprosy to uh, come in contact with others without leprosy. But he got the nickname Simon the Leper. Um, kind of interesting. But there must have been some relationship there. And it was while he was there having dinner that the party is interrupted by a woman. It says a woman comes in. Mark doesn't tell us who this woman is, but in the Gospel of John, she is identified as Mary. There's somewhat of a question about her identity. Which Mary was she? Because there are several. But many think that this would have been the same sister, Mary, as the sister of Martha and Lazarus. In fact, in the 12th um, chapter of the Gospel of John, which is where this, the same story is told, it says that Lazarus was at the table as a party guest, and Martha was serving. So here they are again, the three siblings. And Mary takes this jar of very expensive perfume, sealed in a, in a very beautiful alabaster jar. Alabaster is a stone, and so it had to have been carved out. And she broke it. 
and she anointed Jesus' head with the perfume, with the oil inside of it. So this is a precious, valuable item, possibly a family heirloom, worth maybe a year's wages in those days. Can you imagine that? Worth a, a year's wages. What a beautiful act of worship, isn't it? Beautiful act of worship. In the Gospel of John, it says the smell of the perfume filled the house. Filled the house. Let me ask you, what's your worship like? If you were to compare how you worship Jesus with how, Jer how Mary worshiped Jesus, how would it compare? Well, you might say, you know, I I'm an introvert, or I don't like to sing, or I, I don't like to raise my hands during worship. Um, I don't express myself outwardly with great emotion or grand gestures of worship. But let me ask you something. Think about something um, or someone that you really love and get really excited about. What's your emotional response to those things or those people? Do you get excited about a sports team? <laughs> when you see your children, are you emotional? Does your spouse arouse emotions of love and devotion in you? You see, we're not talking about ritual here. We're not talking about going through the motions of worship. We're talking about a real relationship with a real person. When our relationship with someone is in the right place, our response to that person is appropriate. It's appropriate. Such is the way our relationship with God should be. But what is the way that it really is? I will confess and be honest with you and tell you that my relationship falls far short of Mary's example to us. I, far too often, I'm too embarrassed or too self-conscious about being vocal or demonstrative about my relationship with Christ. I would want to be free to express that relationship and to tell others without hesitation about what Christ has done for me. And it's only through a growing and abiding relationship with the King of Kings that this kind of devotion can come. I hope that's what you would want in your life as well. Mary does make this extravagant display of worship to Jesus, much to the dismay of those around her. But it doesn't matter. In fact, this is actually a signal. This is a sign, a foreshadowing of what is to come. You see, it's only through a broken vessel that the blessing can be released. It's only when the, the, the bottle is broken that what's that what it's containing can be released. Like I said, alabaster is a precious stone. And for the perfume to pre be preserved, it would have had to have been sealed in that jar. Uh, another translation calls it a box. The only way to release the perfume would have been to break the jar. And that's exactly what Mary did. In very much the same way a fine wine is sealed in a bottle. The perfume was sealed in this jar. But once the bottle is broken, it would have had to have been used right away. 
Again, this extravagant act of worship is really a sign of what Jesus was about to experience himself. Mary probably didn't realize it. She was just performing an act of worship. But Jesus did. Jesus understood what the significance of this act was. In fact, Mark here also gives us a hint in it as, as he places this event right before the first communion. Right before the first communion. But this act of worship is met with resistance. Even anger. But the blessing cannot be deterred by hostile thinking. Verse 4 says, Some of those present were saying, indig- were saying indignantly to one another, why waste this perfume? Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, Jesus said. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priests to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Have you ever been in this kind of a position? You're trying to bless somebody. You're wanting to express your worship of God in a tangible way and someone makes a big deal of it? In this case, others who were at the party were indignant. And that word indignant can be translated as angry. They, they were responding in, in an angry way. Matthew states that the disciples were among those taking exception to this act. And in the Gospel of John, Judas Iscariot is pointed out by name. And John says it's because he was the treasurer. And it says that he would pilfer from the treasury for his own use. So not only was Judas a traitor, but he was an embezzler as well. They say that this perfume could have been sold and the proceeds given to the poor. Now something tells me they weren't only looking out for the needs of the poor. But Jesus' response is interesting, isn't it? He says, leave her alone. She's doing a beautiful thing. You're you're always going to have the poor, but I'm only with you for a little while. They They still don't understand completely what's going on here. Even though Jesus has already warned them that he would be turned over to the religious leaders to be crucified on a cross, they were either too dense to understand or they were in denial. Or maybe both. But clearly, Jesus says that what Mary is doing is preparing his body for burial by anointing him with what would be used for burial, perfume. 
a perfume would have been used to kind of prevent or take away the foul stench of a decaying body. But again, there's a lack of understanding on their part. Instead, they complained to one another and to Jesus that the money could have been used in other ways. But great, Jesus graciously accepts Mary's worship and in fact blesses her for the act. He says that she will forever be remembered when anybody thinks about the gospel. We should never use our worship as a means to escape taking care of those in need. But we should also never use the poor as a reason for withholding our worship of God. Both are necessary. And both can be accomplished without being mutually exclusive. But it seems that that's all that, Jesus need, that Judas needed to hear. Immediately, it says, he goes to the chief priest to plan to betray Jesus. Satan is always looking for ways to thwart God's will. Even when we seek to bless God, Satan turns it around and uses it to influence, to, uh, and uses those in his influence. Does this surprise God? I, I don't think so. I don't think Satan can make any kinds of plans that God does not already know about. In fact, Jesus' actions will already be known to Jesus. Uh, Judas's actions will already be known by Jesus, as we'll see in a little bit. You see, in all of this, Jesus is ahead of the game. Jesus is ahead of the game. And so Jesus has already prepared for his final blessing. Jesus has already prepared for his final blessing. Verse 12 says, On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples telling them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house, he enters. Say to the owner of the house, he enters. The teacher asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. As the Passover festival begins, Jesus already planned ahead of time how they will observe this final Passover, this final Passover feast before his ordeal. He gives specific instructions to the disciples in much the same way he gave specific instructions to them in chapter 11 before his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. He says, go into the city and you'll find a man carrying a jar of water. Follow him and he will lead you to a house where, where he will show you the upper room where we will observe the Passover meal together. It seems as though Jesus and the owner of the home know each other already and have prepared ahead of time. 
much of what, is, what was to happen was already known by Jesus. I think it demonstrates the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God. Sovereignty means not only did God know what was to happen, in some ways he ordained it to happen. That doesn't diminish the responsibility of the people bringing these things about, but it does mean that God uses those things to make his greater will When I get overwhelmed with the events of life, I really need to slow down and remember God is sovereign, that he ordains the sun to rise in the morning, the earth to continue to spin on its axis, the moon and stars to continue in their path. One way to remind ourselves of this is to read through the Psalms, to do it every day, maybe in the morning, the first thing you do when you wake up. There you will find every emotion and almost every type of human situation that can be experienced. And you will also find the writer of the psalm um, talking about God's hand working in everything. You see, God always has a greater plan. He always has a greater plan. During this Passover feast, Jesus reveals that there is indeed a greater plan. Verse 17, when evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened. And one by one they said to him, surely you don't mean me. It is one of the twelve, he replied. One who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It will be better for him, him if he had not been born. Mark has already told us that after the party at Bethany, Judas went to the chief priests and scribes to tell them that he would betray Jesus. But Jesus already knew that. And here he reveals this knowledge to the disciples. Why do you think Jesus would do that? What do you think was behind his thinking? I think he continues to to teach them exactly who he is, exactly what his character is. Did he know it was Judas? You bet he did. God has a greater plan, and yes, sometimes it includes the unexpected, the incomprehensible. Again, this doesn't excuse Judas' responsibility for taking the action that he did. But God moves within the actions that we decide to take to accomplish greater will, his greater will. It was necessary for Jesus to give his life, for his body to be broken on the cross, for the greater blessing to be released, just like Mary's perfume. Because Jesus is the ultimate symbol of broken to bless. Jesus is the ultimate symbol of broken to bless. It says, while they were eating, Jesus took bread 
And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take this, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many, he said to them. Truly I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink in the kingdom of heaven. And when they sung a hymn, they went out to the, to the Mount of Olives. You know, every month we take communion. Every month we take communion. The remembrance of what Christ did for us. We reenact this scene from the upper room. Jesus takes a piece of the Passover bread and he, he breaks it and he says, this is my body. Take it and eat it. Then he takes a cup and he says, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Take it and drink. Jesus is the ultimate symbol of brokenness. He was broken so that he could bless. He was broken so that we could be made whole. Jesus calls us in our brokenness as well. It's only through our brokenness that we can bless others. It's only when we're willing to sacrifice ourselves just as Jesus did that we can receive the greater blessing. Paul says that we have this treasure in jars of clay that the greater uh, blessing of the gospel may be revealed to the world. And it's only when our vessel is broken that that treasure can be released to a broken world. When we're looking at, our, at only our own needs, we can't be a blessing to others. But when we willingly give up our rights so that others might live, we become a blessing. We can be broken to bless. Jesus was broken to be a blessing. Are you willing to do the same? I wonder what it was like being in that upper room with Jesus. I wonder what, go, what, what was going through the minds of the disciples as Jesus tells them one of them would betray him. I wonder how each of us would have responded what he was saying as he tells them the bread and the wine were representatives of his body and blood. And then I wonder how we would have responded to the rest of the ordeal that Jesus went through. Like I said, on the back of your program, you'll find the rest of the verses from chapter 14 listed. I'd like to challenge you to read those verses each day, they're listed day by day through Friday, and reflect on the last few hours before that Friday, that Good Friday, to prepare yourselves to observe the actual Good Friday when we, will, when we meet on March 25th. In a few moments, we're going to take communion. We will recite those words once again. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. But I thought as a devotional practice, we might um, take a few moments, 
a couple of minutes and watch some film clips of this very scene, this upper room scene, before we actually take it ourselves. And imagine ourselves sitting in that room with Jesus. Sitting with Jesus and with the other disciples, taking communion together. Let's uh, bring the lights down. Scripture tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he gave it to his disciples and said, take this. This is my body broken for you. As often as you do this, you do this in remembrance of me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the blessing of your broken body. We don't always comprehend it. Maybe we don't always even appreciate it. But Lord, as we do so, let us remember again and think again what you did and why you did it. Thank you, Lord, for, forgive, for forgiving our sins through your broken body and for releasing that greater blessing, not only to us, but to the whole world. In Jesus' name, amen.
that we spend time with you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your great sacrifice and for how we can, how you have encouraged us to reenact that first communion, that Passover feast that you took with your disciples. May it encourage us to remember also not only that we're blessed through your brokenness, but that we can bless others through our brokenness. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to continue to worship the Lord in giving back to him. And so as the worship team leads us in a song and um, the ushers come forward, if you have that welcome card, you can drop it in the, in the, uh, the offering bag as it comes by. And I believe we're also collecting the, the cups. Surrender my love, I may. 
Lord Jesus, we do owe all to you, and we are in awe of you. Lord, thank you for your great sacrifice on the cross for us. The Lord bless you, the Lord keep you, the Lord make his face to shine upon you, the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for joining us this morning. Please stay and have a time of fellowship and sharing God's love together.